0: Hey everyone and welcome to At The Letters for September 29th, 2023. Game number 160 nearly upon us here. So we are happy to be bringing you this episode produced by Mike Rogerson, available wherever you can get your podcasts. Um, So stick with us here. We'll be with you. Well, we'll see how long this playoff run goes here for the Blue Jays. Uh, But Arden, it's it's been a wild ride since even since we last spoke, and I'm sure more twists and turns ahead. Uh, game 160 almost upon us here. How are you doing?
1: Only 160 is that all? That's <laughs> yeah. it. That's only yep. like what nine and a half NFL seasons, something yeah. like that.
0: Yeah, it's it used to be 10. Um, so Yeah, it's it's a lot of games. It's a lot of games, maybe uh, weeks more of games ahead, or the Blue Jays might be done by Sunday. Uh, We'll see. So, you know, it is kind of wild when you think back to, um, you know, just all the different uh, position players that they've gone through all the different storylines that we've seen opening day starter Alec Manoa, you know, back to the End of spring training, you know, you have Otto Lopez and Nathan Lucas. And I think I think it was Clearwater. <laughs> I th- I want to say you and I were in Clearwater, Florida debating that one.
1: Uh, does that ring a bell? I remember we talked about it for like three days because it was the only storyline at the end of camp. So that was like our little chat or hit for Central or whatever for like three straight days. Like, <laughs> yes. Who's are going to win the 13th position player spot that uh, doesn't even play. Yeah, exactly. That,
0: because at the end of every spring game, uh, you and I would do, or or you and Shy, or me and Hazel, or whatever the combination is, we would do uh, a chat wrapping up the storyline, and Otto Lopez
1: got so much play for a guy who, has he appeared on the Jays this year? No. I think he got hurt somewhere along the way. He got out to a tough start. He was in Toronto at one point. He might have been in the taxi squad for someone. Because I know I talked to him in Toronto at some point during the season. But I don't believe he actually was ever activated to the big league roster this year. Yeah, that
0: rings a bell for me too. I think I saw him at some point. So maybe that's why uh, I have it in my head. But no appearances for... Otto Lopez. This will not be the Otto Lopez podcast. We have uh, bigger and better things <laughs> to discuss here, um, as you would hope on September 29th. I mean, this is really, you know, this is this is an exciting time of year for baseball. And for the Blue Jays, they would rather it was a little less exciting. Um, but around the league, you know, it's, it's fun to scoreboard watch. It's fun to see what's going on. Um, as we're recording this, so it is, it is September 29th around 11 a.m. So we do not know what is going to happen in this race series we do know that you say kikuchi is going to be pitching the opener of that series and we do know that the stakes are incredibly high um, for the blue jays whose magic number is two as we record this so i guess like arden what are you looking for this weekend uh i know it's kind of an awkward time just because things are going to change really quickly but what do you when you're going into this
1: weekend um what are you looking for from this jays team well, like, here's the thing. Victor Martinez showed Otto Lopez this thing with his hands. And he's getting a lot more <laughs> loft. And it, all right, I'm kidding. Um, look, the, it, the, 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 the shorter the sample gets and the smaller the runway of games gets, I mean, the less certain I am in saying anything, right? The less definitive I want to be about anything. I could see the Blue Jays sweeping the Rays this weekend and like having this all done and dusted by Saturday and you know fielding to like B squad lineups and uh just punting on the final two games and optimizing things for the wildcard series I could see them losing the first two games of the series and having to pitch Kevin Gossman on Sunday because the Mariners took care of business against the Rangers with uh, you know their crumbling bullpen and George Kirby's on the mound for Seattle and all of a sudden we're going into Sunday having and no idea who's going to be in October. I can see the Blue Jays getting swept by the Rays and missing the postseason. Like I, I, could, I could see it all. It's all on the table. I think that the most likely scenario, the most probable scenario, is that the Blue Jays are a postseason team. They finish wildcard two, and they go to the Trop uh, on Monday for a workout, and then on Tuesday, they start a wildcard series against the Rays. I think that's the most likely and probable scenario, but just because of the scenario where they crater at the end and fall out of it and miss the playoffs is improbable doesn't mean that it is implausible yeah
0: it could happen it could happen which is wild i mean if that happens if they miss the playoffs like what a failure of a season um that would be so bad after having this opportunity in front of them um but you know, we're not there yet. I, I think, you know, if if that happens, you and I will have a lot to discuss on the next week's episode. But I, I don't want to go there quite, quite yet. In the meantime, you know, we do have some real questions surrounding this team. And I, I guess they got one pretty big answer in the form of Brandon Belt because, you know, This going into this week, that actually was one of the big questions for me uh, around this team was belt and was Jordan Romano. And I think they've gotten one really resounding answer in the form of belt. They haven't got any kind of satisfying answer in the form of their closer. But with belt in particular, this is a guy who just seemingly does not need any kind of rehab ever. Uh, He just like comes back, no rehab games, draws a walk, gets some hits, hits a bomb. Like this is kind of best case scenario for what they could have seen from Brandon belt this week.
1: Yeah, Brandon Belt is what I would call a show-and-go player. And uh, I've been around a number of those uh, in my time covering baseball, and typically it does not go as well as Brandon Belt uh, as it does with him. Um, he really does make it seem, uh, I don't want to say use the word easy because nothing that these players do is easy, but his ability to just come in rather cold without much of a ramp up, without seeing competition, without seeing live pitching in I don't know how long and just stay step in and give you like a really professional plate appearance and draw a walk and judge balls and strikes really well and hit home runs it's it's pretty remarkable we saw it earlier this season when he hit the the il didn't do the rehab assignment came back and he was brandon belt we saw it in spring training when brandon belt really didn't appear much until the end of camp obviously he got off to that really cold start at the beginning of the year but he pulled himself out of it in a really huge way so uh you know it's it speaks to just his ability (laughs) you talk to blue jays hitting coaches and they'll tell you like yeah this is a guy who does not take long to find his rhythm and his tempo and his timing before a game there are some hitters in this league who are taking hundreds of swings before games in the batting cages on the field um into the net in the tunnel in the dugout before their plate appearances I think Brandon Belt can take like a dozen swings before a game and say, "Yep, I found it. That's what I want. That's my feeling. I feel confident enough to go out and hit against the big league the best the best pitching in the world in the big leagues, and it is really hard to argue with the results." Yeah, it's impressive. It really is to do that
0: without any rehab assignments like that i I guess the baseball writer equivalent might be showing up at like 7 p.m sitting down in the press box and just writing the game story of your life you know like just just absolutely crushing it but it's hard to do and most players need some sort of ramp up before they can go in there and face you know garrett cole he's up there getting two hits against garrett cole it's actually like quite impressive and it's they need it because they're going to be facing a lot of right-handed pitching down
1: the stretch and into the postseason Yeah, he's important at the top of that lineup in order to break up the righties and and make it more difficult for um, Kevin Cash or Rocco Baldelli to match up with Blue Jays hitters late in the game. You know, if you got a a run of three or four righties at the top of your lineup and you've got a really, really good right-handed reliever in your bullpen, that's a pretty obvious matchup. Uh, But then if you insert Brandon Belt in there, well, it does make it a little bit trickier for the manager on the other side. So, uh, you know, I think that just with the amount of right-handed pitching the Blue Jays project to face in uh, in the postseason, whether it's Eflin now with the Rays, whether it's uh, Lopez Gray with the Twins, uh, I think that Brandon Belt um, with, you know, feeling good at the plate, feeling confident, seeing pitches, ruling balls and strikes um, well, as he always does. I think that's a very, very good thing for the Blue Jays
0: to have. Number two hitter, Brandon Belt for the time being. Um, you know, we'll see how they choose to to order things moving forward, but he's such an important player for them. And I think too, you know, like at this point with these games, like until you clinch, I think you kind of have to use Brandon Belt pretty much every day. As long as he's good to go, I think you need him in there, despite the fact that you see him in the dugout. He's got like, you know, a heat pack of some kind on his back to stay loose. Like this is not a guy who's necessarily like the loosest and, and most limber. Um, especially just coming off the injured list. But I think you kind of have to push it here at this
1: point in the season. I don't worry about that so much with belts. I actually worry about that more with Vladdy because with belts DHing every day down the stretch, you're not able to get Guerrero a DH day, um, a day off his feet at first base. And we know that Vlad has battled a knee issue down the stretch here. So he's going to have to log a lot of innings in the field, um, you know, on turf, uh, down the stretch. And I think that the more optimal thing would be to get Vlad even an entire day off, honestly, once like the Blue Jays clinch, like I don't think that, if the Blue Jays clinch, I don't think Vladimir Guerrero Jr. should play game 162 and maybe he only plays half of game 161. But uh, as long as you have to field your A lineup every night and Brandon Belt's a part of that, a designated hitter, the only place Vladimir Guerrero Jr. can play is first base.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. I think you want to get Vladdy off his feet if you can, just given that he's been dealing with that knee for, well, he's been dealing with it for a while. He missed time with it uh, last week, about nine days ago. So you want to get him as rested as you can. Ideal world, you're able to do that with Jordan Romano too. And you, like at this point, as we're recording this, his last two outings have been really rough. And I think you want to get him one to sort of get him back on track. I'm curious to hear where you land on this, Arden. But to me... If you need Jordan Romano Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, do it. Like, this is the time. This is when you need him. You got to be prepared to do that. However, best case scenario is he pitches once. He faces three batters. He throws like eight pitches.
1: Oh yeah no obviously right Um, and you don't want to be in a scenario where Jordan Romano is pitching all three games on the weekend I think you do want to give him the opportunity for a get right appearance one way or another if it doesn't come up Friday Saturday maybe he starts Sunday's game and maybe we're like playing the light show on Sunday why not right and just give him that inning to just sort through some things talking to him I mean he says the fingernail isn't an issue you have to take his word for it the big thing that I kind of want to see from him or I think that the Blue Jays would want to see from him Um, it's just like a bit more velocity initially in his outings like early in his outings it seems like he's kind of like had to find it through his first four five six pitches um the last few times that he's been out and then he gets up there to you know the 97 98 but you can have a bunch of damage happen early in an outing if you're more like 94 95 in the zone and I think that we saw that against the New York Yankees uh earlier this week when Austin Wells took him deep on a fastball. So I, I think that you know that that's something the Blue Jays would like to see from him is just like come out and first pitch of the outing is 97 98 rather than this ramp up process where it's like 94 95 and then he's finding it later on yeah
0: no that's that's a good point for sure you those first batters matter a ton uh that's obviously why he's in the game is to to get results right away and it is really like an interesting dynamic with the rays because they played them last weekend you know the most likely scenario would be that they do play the rays again Next week. So that would be six games in a row. That would be nine games out of 12. Like you never see that in baseball. And the Jays know the Rays pretty well to begin with. So it actually introduces some interesting dynamics where, like in the scenario that they do clinch Friday, for example, like roll Ryu for six the next day, the, you know, on the Sunday, Roll guys out that maybe need a little tune up, but don't be afraid to use, you know, Mitch White or Bowden Francis to cover four or five innings in that game because you don't want to give their hitters free looks. And I'm sure the same logic applies on the other side of the field.
1: I think you just worry about yourself. Like once you clinch, you've got a checklist and it's all right, what do we need to see? And what do each of our players need, um, in terms of rest or usage? So you go around the bullpen and say, All right, Tim Mesa, all right, Jordan Hicks, all right, Yannis Cabrera, like what do you need out of these last like eighteen innings that we have to work with? Do you want one of them? Do you want a little bit of work? Or would you rather just rest and and you know we we go go to lower leverage guys and and like you said using a Mitch White and about in Francis to to get us through you, you go through your position players who could use a day off their feet how do we get that for them who could actually use some plate appearances hey Davis Schneider hasn't had many of them lately let's get him some plate appearances like how do you know what kind of a rhythm does Whit Merrifield want to feel like he's in going into the postseason so you know how do we get Cam Eden to attempt a stolen base at the big league level so that his first big league steal attempt isn't in a wild card series in (laughs) the eighth inning of like a tie game uh so yeah like how do we just kind of check off all these boxes on our checklist that's what it becomes but uh you're gonna have to beat the rays on friday to do that and then you're also going to need a little bit of help from seattle losing (laughs) on friday as well and and if you don't do that well then you got to go into saturday needing to beat the Rays again because if look you you beat the Rays friday and seattle wins the blue jays play before seattle does on saturday so in that scenario saturday is going to be another must win game and you have to treat it that way
0: yeah it's it's pretty like for a team that you know still has great playoff odds, well, some of those playoff odds where it's like 93 percent that they get in. Some of that is like you're playing Sunday with Kevin Gosman on the mound and you're going all out and you're using everyone. and you don't love that, you know, like you re- there's a huge difference as far as the Jay's chances of getting through the wildcard round. Based on whether you can rest those guys Sunday or not. Like, I think that's actually like a pretty big swing variable for this team. Yeah, obviously. Um, do you have a preference between twins and rays? If you're looking at this through the Blue Jays lens, between those two teams,
1: is there one that stands out to you as like a better matchup? I think there's pluses and minuses with each. I think the, like you start with the starting rotation and you're going to see good pitching. either one right like Sonny Gray Pablo Lopez really really good pitchers Tyler Glass now Zach Eflin really really good pitchers so uh you're gonna see really good starting pitching either way you see really good bullpens either way like you know Pagan and Duran with you know with the twins and you know obviously Fairbanks and like the just cavalcade of you know different hard throwers from weird arm slots that are gonna pour out of like the clown car that is uh the Rays bullpen and then I think on the position player side like the Rays kind of banged up Right now, obviously, we'll see about the availability of like a Diaz or or in a arena. Twins also pretty banged up, like Byron Buxton's on the IL, Correa's on the IL, Royce Lewis, Joey Gallo's on the IL, so they're kind of similar, right? Like when you think about it. So to me, if I'm the Blue Jays, like I'm pretty cool with either one. I, you know, you could convince me that like there's a percentage point difference for one or the other. But to me, the the difference in terms of quality of opponent, I think would be just really marginal. Yeah,
0: I tend to agree. Like if you look at the, the standings, right? Like the Twins, 85 wins, the Rays, 97. So that's a massive, massive difference. But... I actually think like the twins are better than their record they've had some guys you know pop up late in the year despite those injuries like Edward julian has been really good Willie castro is back from the injured list he's been pretty good um you know their pitching in a three-game series is obviously going to be strong as it would be on the tampa side as well so i i actually i think these teams are like not so dissimilar then again if you're the jays you don't try to finesse it, um, you know, to your earlier point. You don't try to set things up for one opponent or the other. You just try to get in, make sure that you're in as good a position as possible. And I actually think like, and this is this is not based in a lot of science or anything like that, but I think the Jays are going to win the wild card round. I think they're going to make it through because they, they, you know, they have, it's been this weird, weird season. It's been still pretty disappointing, you know, not to have clinched by September 29th. Like they might not make it, but I actually think they're going to make it. And I think they're going to win a round. Based on
1: just the the feeling from within your gut, based on the feeling from within my gut. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes. I, I wish I was better at accessing that that feeling <laughs> or uh, emotions in general because then I could uh, I could join you in making such a bold prediction. but yeah, I really I, I will enter that series no matter who they're playing, where they're playing it, who's hurt, who's healthy, who's in the lineup, who's starting, whatever. I'm gonna I'm gonna enter it basically looking at it as a coin flip. Yeah, and I think that's
0: a fair way to look at it. That is the the um, you know what I think the the numbers would tell us. And um, you know, we'll see. It'll be it'll be really interesting. Um, but I, I do want to get into the um, to the roster and what that would look like. So why don't we step aside for a moment and then when we come back on at the letters, we can go a bit more granular as far as some of the decisions that the blue jays will face when it comes to actually setting a playoff roster, should they get that far. Listen to At The Letters ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. We are back on At The Letters, which you can find wherever you find your podcast. Thanks for joining us here. Uh, Lots to discuss, of course, this week alongside Arden's Welling, And thanks to our producer, Mike Rogerson. Arden, as mentioned, this is a Blue Jays team that is likely to be in the postseason. And if they advance to the postseason, they are going to have 26 roster spots at their disposal. Right now, they're operating with 28. So that means one position player and one pitcher. It actually could unfold in a couple different ways. But they're going to have to cut a couple players from their existing roster to prepare themselves for that pivotal wildcard series. So let's dive into what that could look like. I guess like in an overarching way, before we get to some of those really granular decisions, if you're the Blue Jays, what, how are you approaching this? What are some of the things that you're thinking about big picture when it comes to setting that roster?
1: Well, so we'll start here. Um, I don't expect Danny Jansen to be good to go for a wildcard series. I assume you agree, DS likely as well. Exactly. I think even ALCS is
0: unlikely, but if they were to make it to the World Series, then which like there's a 10% chance of, by the way. <laughs> so, you know, it's I know it sounds like it sounds like pie in the sky, but it's also like, yeah, it could happen. If that happens, Danny Jansen, I think, could return.
1: So I'm not adding anyone to this roster who is not currently on it. Like I'm like Danny Jansen's not coming back. I don't think I'm putting like a Spencer Horowitz or an Ernie Clement on there. Um, I'm not adding, obviously, like an Alec Manoa or a Nate Pearson or like I just think we start there. So you're dealing with essentially just the 28 who are in the clubhouse on the active roster right now. And so you got to get that down to 26. I think Hunjin Ryu is a pretty simple cut from that roster uh, just because he's probably not going to be used. He's not going to start one of the three games and he would be an awkward fit in the bullpen. You could revisit things with him for a divisional series roster, but I, I just don't think that he really has utility for you on a wild card roster. So like, that's one cut immediately. And so now you are down to 13 pitchers. This is where you get to the decision of do you want to carry – 13 pitchers and 13 position players, or do you want to carry 14 position players and 12 pitchers? 13 pitchers is the absolute maximum that you can carry. So we're already down to that 13 on the pitching side, but if you want to carry 14 position players, which would mean everybody who's on this roster right now, so that's um, all of your regulars plus Heineman, Espinal, Merrifield, Schneider, and Cameron Eden, well, then you got to pick another pitcher to trim. I think that if you go that way, unfortunately for Jay Jackson, he's probably the last guy on the uh, the bullpen depth chart at this time. Maybe you can make a case for Trevor Richards based on recent performance, but he's been so strong for the Blue Jays, and he has a lot of um, he has a lot of experience this year in leverage. He gives you a bit of length. He's an interesting matchup against lefties if you need him in that spot with his changeup. So I think he would have a lot of utility on the roster. So if I'm trimming another pitcher, I think it's probably Jay Jackson. Then you got 12 pitchers, 14 position players. Boom, you're done. If you're going... 13 and 13 and you're leaving jay jackson in in your bullpen or you're inserting like a bowden francis um you say coochie by the way already is in the bullpen if you're inserting a Bowden francis to give you uh another length option well then you gotta pick a position player to trim and that probably comes down to either cameron eden who is someone who you probably don't want taking a plate appearance in a wildcard series but who gives you that speed element off the bench or Pretty tough decision between a Davis Schneider or a Santiago Espinal. Does all that make sense to you?
0: Yeah, I, I think it does. I think that's sort of how things will go. um And it's interesting because so I looked at the wild card roster for 2022 to see how they operated last year, and thinking that that could give us an indication as to what they're going to do this year. And last year they took 13 pitchers uh, for a three game series with an off day on each side. So to me, that seems excessive. Like, I don't think you need 13 pitchers, three of whom are starting pitchers, right? So that's a 10-man bullpen for a three-game series with off days on either side. Like, I don't think you need to do that, but that's what they did. So I actually think that there's a very, very good chance they go with 13 pitchers, in which case you're choosing two of Cam Eden, David Schneider, and Santiago Espinal. So You know, there are a couple different ways this could go, but my read is they probably would take that 13th pitcher.
1: I think so. I think they showed us last year what they're likely to do. Um, Like Bradley Zimmer was available to them last year if they wanted to go 14 and 12 and they wanted to add that speed guy on that defense guy and they didn't carry Bradley Zimmer. Instead they carried 13 pitchers and I think that the sort of worst case scenario that the Blue Jays would be envisioning and wanting to protect themselves against is all right, game one Kevin Gosman starts and yeah he gives you like you know six and two thirds really good innings but it's a tie game and then you burn through like a Swanson um, Mesa Hicks Romano in a tie game that gets extended into the eleventh the 12th. Remember, no zombie runner in the postseason. So this is now a game that is going 13, 14 innings. And here's Jimmy Garcia. And now you've used Chad Green. And oh, no. You got walked off by the Rays in the bottom of the 13th, and now you're coming back in game two, and you're starting Jose Barrios, but it is must win, like absolute win time. So Barrios is out of there after two trips through, and you're going back to Romano and back to Hicks and back to Green and back to Mesa, and yes, they get you through and you edge out that win in game two, but now you're staring down game three, and it is your entire bullpen is on back-to-backs, probably extended back-to-backs because it's the postseason and the Rays are fouling off a ton of pitches and giving you these really tough plate appearances and extending their A-Bs and you are looking at a bullpen that is tired, fatigued, ineffective. The game times are all over the place. Guys haven't had their recovery and you're thinking, man, we really wish we had that extra pitcher in our bullpen right now because we are super thin for this must-win Game 3. Feel like I just listened to a a Pete Walker nightmare. (laughs) (laughs) But that is what the Blue Jays would be envisioning, no? That's why they would take 13. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I yeah, I agree. I agree. I think that is the scenario. And I think that is like I think that is like Pete Walker's like fever dreams, uh, like just keeping them up at 2 a.m. Uh envisioning that sort of situation. And that's their job is to map these out. If you look at the data obviously pitchers are not as good on back-to-backs. They are definitely not as good <laughs> yeah. on back-to-back-to-backs, right? When I say Jordan Romano should be available three times in a row, I'm not saying that like it's plan A, because it's not. You know, it's, that's a bad case scenario. And, and even Jimmy Garcia, think of how many times Jimmy Garcia comes out of the bullpen. He puts up a couple 99s. I'm like, oh, I look down at my um, fan graph's depth chart. I'm like, when did he last pitch? Oh, it was four days ago. You know, yeah. like that's that's when you see the better stuff from these guys. is Cabrera, he's coming out with throwing 99. He's locating everything. Oh, yeah, he hasn't pitched in three days. So I, I understand all of that points to taking another pitcher, and they're probably going to take another pitcher. But there's also, like, alongside that nightmare scenario, there are, like, the more likely scenarios where, you know, Gosman gives you six, and, you know, then you go something like, you know, Jimmy and Hicks and Romano and you win that game. And then the next day you're losing big early and it's Trevor Richards who pitches two innings and, you know, and then you're good going into game three and there's no problem. So I, I think they'll take 13, but it's also possible that they will look at last year and they'll say, you know what? Like, Part of the reason they lost is they did not have good outfield defense, and they did not have Bradley Zimmer. They did take Bradley Junior, but they did not have Bradley Zimmer on the roster. And I wonder if they say
1: we want to have more position player options to impact things late in the game. I wonder if they've just raised the floor of their outfield defense to the point where they'd feel okay with if we have to pinch hit for Varsho in a really tough lefty matchup late in a game. Like that's fine. We, We could throw wit. In left field and feel good about having Kevin Kiermaier covering more ground in center and, and George Springer still in right. Um, I get it. Like it would be nice late in a game if you really needed a speed element and say it's, uh, you know, Brandon Belt reaches uh, with a five pitch walk to lead off the inning. Boom. Here's Cameron Eden, right? Or for Alejandro Kirk. Boom, here's Cameron Eden, and here's somebody who, you know, Kirk hits a, a double with one out in the eighth, and you're like, geez, are we going to need like two hits to score this guy? You put in Cameron Eden, now all you really need is a ground ball single, and that guy is going to be burning around the bases with 30 feet per second sprint speed. I get it, that's a nice to have, but it is like it, you, you are taking a real risk if you are not including that safety net of that extra pitcher on the chance that you have extra inning games or like games where you just have to burn through a bunch of relievers for one reason or another. Remember, it's postseason, so even a Jordan Romano, if he enters an outing and he just clearly doesn't have it, You know, if the velo isn't there or if, uh, you know, he walks his first two batters, he might be out of there after 12 pitches. Like you might be making a move very, very quickly. We've seen this in postseasons in the past. Like you can throw out whatever the rules were, whatever the trust tree looked like over 162 in the postseason. Like you have to be that much more reactionary and decisive based on what is happening on that night, particularly in a three-game card series. So I, I just think that the Blue Jays will look at it and say we'd much rather have that added layer of protection of that 13th pitcher so that we don't get caught with our pants down in a really bad situation.
0: Okay, Yeah, I, I agree with that. I agree with your assessment of what they will do. <laughs> I
1: disagree
0: <laughs> with the idea of taking that 13th pitcher. So to me, I think they should take 12. Do you have a do you have kind of a firm stance one way or the other? You sort of you can see both sides. Where do you land
1: on that? I could see both sides. If I was the decision maker, I would take the 13th pitcher.
0: Interesting. Okay. So I would go 12. I would go 12 arms. I think they will take 13. And sounds like you agree that 13 is is a good way to go, which totally see those those arguments. So then if they take 13 pitchers, this is where it actually gets really interesting on the position player side because on the position player side, that means that you're going to have 13 position players. And 10 of those, well, I would say 11 of those are actually locks, right? Because you have the starting nine, plus you have Tyler Heineman, plus you have Whip Merrifield. Those guys are locks, right? Locks of all locks. Yes. So then, as you as you mentioned earlier, then you're choosing two of Espinal, David Schneider, and Cam Eden. And, and that's where it gets actually really interesting because... Espinol, if they were facing a left-handed pitcher, I think we would see Espinal 100% on the roster because they really like him against lefties. And there would be a case for him to be starting a game. Um, they're not going to face a left-handed starting pitcher. So this is where do you choose the power option that David Schneider gives you? Do you choose the speed that Cam Eden gives you? Or do you want to take Espinol anyway
1: because he still would give you a late game AB against a lefty and he's your only backup shortstop you may not be facing left-hand starter but you are still facing like a jake deakman or uh like colin poche Laying the game against the Rays, and then I mean, with Minnesota, I, I couldn't even name their lefty relievers off the top of my head. To be honest with you, I've been preparing much more for the Rays because yes. I just think that's what's going to happen. But yeah. I, I'm sure there is somebody that is uh, you know really effective against lefties in Minnesota's bullpen, and they're probably going to target Belt, Iggio and Kiermeier, um, and Varsho as well. By the way, like they're, they're, the Blue Jays, very likely to start four left-handed hitters um, in the wild series. Belt, Biggio, Kiermaier, Varsho. Like, those guys are all in the lineup. So the, yeah. the Rays are going to be targeting those hitters with lefties. And if you really do need a hit from a, a Kiermaier of our Varsho, a late-game spot, a couple runners on, two outs... I think you might go to an Espinal in that situation. Even a Biggio. I know he's performing well lately and he's had some results against lefties, but like the Blue Jays showed their hand this year with the way they use Biggio against lefties, which is that they did not use him much at all. So I think that if you're John Schneider, you're going to want to have that Espinal option off the bench to pinch hit in those spots as well as to cover you for infield defense. If you don't carry Espinal, your backup shortstop is a Biggio or a Chapman and those guys are already playing positions for you in your lineup okay agree with
0: everything but I'm going to throw a devil's advocate at you here in the likely scenario like Merrifield is not starting he's on the bench for the foreseeable future so is there not some redundancy there between Merrifield and Santiago Espinal and that you're you've got these right-handed hitting infielders um, and Schneider Davis Schneider gives you a bit of a different look in the sense that he can hit one out of the park. If any if you need a three run Homer, like if it's game three and it's Varsho's turn up and they have Colin Pochet on the mound, you need a
1: three run Jack. Like I'm going to David Schneider in that situation. I'm not looking to Santiago Espinal. And I think that they're all on their roster because you're not taking Cameron Eden. Oh <laughs> right? no 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 oh, this I, is a bridge you won't cross
0: <laughs> no to me this is just my personal opinion okay obviously to me cam eden has to be on the roster has
1: to be he doesn't even have a big league plate appearance ben
0: and he shouldn't get one yeah. but he has
1: to be on the roster i don't know i would much rather take merrifield schneider and espinal on my roster wow you know, those three options i would like guys on my bench who can hit If I'm taking, look, if if I've got like 14 position players, sure, I can like have the speed specialist in there, defense specialist, whatever. If I'm only taking 13, which is this scenario where we're going 13 pitchers, 13 position players, I'd want 13 guys who I trust to hit, who I trust to take a plate appearance. Because you're likely to come up with, well, you're not likely, but it's a possibility that you're going to end up in an extra rating game and you're going to have made a bunch of moves because you're playing the Rays and they're constantly countering you and constantly putting you in these difficult positions and matching up with you. I think you're going to utilize your bench. I think you're going to pinch hit a lot. And I think you're. it's going to be hard to avoid having some of the guys coming off your bench taking plate appearances. And I don't know that you want the untested minor leaguer who, like, does not have particularly impressive offensive results at minor leagues, in the minor leagues, to this point in his career, taking those plate appearances.
0: Oh, yeah. You definitely, definitely don't. Like, you don't want Cam in batting. Like, definitely not. Um But I still think, um and this wouldn't be the case on every roster, or even on every version of the Blue Jays roster, but I think because Alejandro Kirk, Jansen's out. So Alejandro Kirk is starting every playoff game for this Correct. team. Like, it's just... You're not starting unquestionable. Yes. Yeah.
1: So he's starting every game. <laughs> Speaking um, of guys who you don't <laughs> necessarily want taking plate appearances late in games. Yep. But Heinemann might actually because of you
0: know how it unfolds because they'll pinch run for Kirk and then Heinemann will come in and then you can't pinch hit for Heinemann. So
1: Heinemann might actually hit. So, But I want to correct myself because I said I want four guys on my bench who I feel good about taking plate appearances late in a playoff game. It's actually only three. It's actually yeah. only Espinal, Merrifield, and Schneider. It's only three. But because Kirk is going
0: to play every single game and because Belt, against the right-handed starters that they're going to face, will also play every single game. And because those two guys are two of the worst base runners in Major League Baseball, especially Kirk, but Belt is is below average. Maybe he's not the worst in Major League Baseball, but Belt is like distinctly a below average base runner. And Kirk is, is like literally among the worst. He does tons of other things well. Not trying to sit here and crap on Alejandro Kirk. He's been really, really good. But we all know he's not a good base runner. So you want to be able to have a couple of options, and I think Whit Merrifield is one of them. But I wouldn't want the other option to be Davis Schneider. Like I think the the upgrade as a pinch runner to a guy like Cam Eden, who's fifty three of fifty seven stealing bases in the minor leagues, should get a couple shots this weekend to get that first one under his belt in the show. Like to me, Cam Eden is a huge difference maker if you're down
1: one or if you're tied. I'd feel a lot better about my side of this if Santiago Espinal um, had. Shown some better base running this year. I agree, <laughs> right? <laughs> I agree. Because then I could just say, don't worry about it. Like, Santiago Gaspar is a fine base runner and he's fast. But yeah, he hasn't graded very well um, in his base running or in his sprint speed. I do think that Cam Eden would instantly be the fastest player on this team as soon as he gets the opportunity to show it, which he really hasn't yet to this point. So that is a weapon. And like, there, you know, you really just have to decide what you think kind of the the difference is there between like the you know how much faster Cam Eden would be as a pinch runner over a Heineman pinch running for Kirk or an Espinal pinch running for Belt um or a Davis Schneider, or whatever, however the Blue Jays would want to play that versus the the downside of like, well, if like the difference of Cam Eden having to take a plate appearance against a Poche or whoever it is going to be coming out of um, the Rays bullpen, a Diekman, whoever, versus having like Santiago Espinal on your roster to do that, because you haven't actually said who you're excluding from the roster yet, but I'm assuming that you are excluding Santiago Espinal.
0: In my actual scenario, I would exclude Ryu and Jay Jackson, and I would go 12 pitchers. And you still have a nine-man bullpen. It's going to be okay. In the 13-and-13 world, I would exclude Espinal. And that wouldn't be the plan A. I would like to have Espinal. I think that there's a, a real use case for him. But... In this situation, I think there's some redundancy between him and Merrifield. I would take Merrifield. I would take David Schneider because I think David Schneider could run into one. And he could hit a three-run homer that changes the complexion of that whole series.
1: When's the last time Santiago Espinal had a plate appearance for the Blue Jays? Is my question. It's Friday, right? It's been like a week since he's even seen a live pitch. It's been somewhat similar for davis schneider although i think he's had like a pinch hit here and there he played saturday Um, yeah he played saturday right so like the blue jays really aren't using either of those guys at all they definitely aren't using espinal at all and they look they've been facing a ton of right-handed starters and Kevin biggio has been giving you something and so they there hasn't really been a spot for espinal but i wonder how that plays into it as well the fact that espinal would be like really really cold coming off the bench in the yeah. season like he hasn't seen a live pitch in a week uh you know i assume we'll get something this weekend if the blue jays are able to clinch but if they aren't and if sunday's a must win well then you might have a scenario where Essenal is going into the wild card series like a week and a half without actually seeing a live pitcher oh yeah i mean
0: and let's say that his time to shine comes up on thursday that would be a day shy of two weeks between plate appearances so you know all of that points to you know as we've touched on already like clinch as soon as possible and it's not like they're not trying but you know clinch early because then you can get these guys in there you can get a david schneider and an espinal some at bats to the point that they're not going in there cold in the
1: biggest moment of their professional careers This is where the games that the Blue Jays coughed up to the Mariners repeatedly this year, um, the four-game sweep against the Rangers earlier this this month, this is where this is really biting you. Because you have just one more of those wins like you're you're clinching a lot earlier a lot easier and now you are optimizing for the wildcard series uh as things stand right now the morning of friday september 29th the lujays are optimizing for tonight they're optimizing yeah. for hours from now for how do we win this game that's right in front of us, I think they would feel a lot better about their options. I think a lot of these decisions would be a lot easier to make if the Blue Jays were in a position where they had clinched even just going into the weekend or if you're you're popping champagne on Thursday and you know that you've got these final three games to figure some things out, I think that would make Uh, life a lot easier but the Blue Jays didn't win a game against Texas earlier this month and they coughed up those leads to the Mariners in their series with with Seattle and they didn't play Baltimore well enough earlier this season they dropped their first what was it seven straight to the Red Sox this season this is where those early season losses are really hurting the Blue Jays
0: Yeah. And they've had their chances, right? Like you can't blame anyone but yourself at this point in the season. They've had a mostly healthy team. They have a talented roster. They've spent a ton of money. It's like, if you're not, if you're not getting in, if you're not giving yourself any breathing room, like there's no one to blame but yourself at this point. Totally agree. Anything else that you want to get to here, a wildcard roster or
1: otherwise when it comes to these uh, Blue Jays? I mean, I, we don't, Do it enough, man. We just need to shout out this Blue Jays starting rotation. I think it's just one of the best that we've seen in franchise history. Um, Like, I know the Blue Jays had a lot of good starters in their day. I know they had the Steve and Key years and, like, the Holiday Burnett years and, like, Roger Clemens won a couple Cy Young awards. But I, I can't think of a Blue Jays rotation in franchise history that has had the quality of depth that this one has. I mean, we're talking four starters with... Uh, over 30 starts, over 175 strikeouts, lower than a four ERA. It's just so exceptional and so rare. Like to see a guy like Chris Bassett surpassing 200 innings pitched um, on Thursday, like that would have been just a cool story in and of itself. And he's like the number three <laughs> in this rotation yeah. after, uh, you know, Jose Barrios, who has had this like remarkable bounce back year and has made 2022 look like a complete outlier and behind, Kevin Gosman who's going to be very likely a Cy Young finalist, um, like it's just it's it's just so so impressive what what the starting staff has done. Um, we know how hard it is to log the kind of workloads at the kind of um, level of quality that these Blue Jays starters have, and uh, I think it's something that people are going to look back on in the future and say, you know, wow, that was a really remarkable Blue Jays rotation probably the best that we have ever seen in the history of this franchise. Yeah, it's been
0: unbelievable. And I think, too, like 200 innings in this context is just so different than 200 innings in 1987 or 19... Ninety-eight, and it was impressive then. That was that was a good number. That's always been a good number for a starting pitcher. But to do it now, I mean, that's that's really impressive durability and just effectiveness too. Because there's no way that you get to pitch two hundred innings unless you're pretty good. I mean, that's a lot. That's six hundred outs. That's a lot of batters that you are retiring in the major leagues. So yeah, Bassett's been tremendous. It actually sort of um, reminds me to to raise the possibility of you know rotation order. Um, You know, with Kevin Gosman, you know, tentatively lined up for a game one, that would set Barrios game two, Bassett game three. We've touched on this before, but, you know, would you uh, look to alter that at all? If you're the Jays, would you be, would you be open to playing around with that? Or
1: do you just sort of keep it uh, in the order that they're now in? The incredible, like it's, that's another incredible thing about this rotation that it really doesn't matter. Like Kevin Goslin's yeah. going to start game one and Brios and Bassett, you feel great about either of those guys in game yeah. two. So you can really do anything you want. And it's yeah. not. It's and all of the outcomes are good with these three starters. Usually, you go into a wild card series with two starters you feel good about and one who you're pretty iffy on. For instance, if the Blue Jays face the Rays in the wild card series, like I think you'll see Glass now, Eflin, bullpen day. I think that's yeah. likely how they would line it up. They, you know, I like Savale is fine and he would likely be part of that bullpen day, but it's not a scenario where I think you're going to see Aaron Savali go six innings. Uh, it's a scenario where he probably enters behind an opener or a scenario where he takes like a trip and a half through and then the Rays try to bullpen it from there. The Blue Jays legitimately have three starters who they can throw in this wildcard series who you have no problem taking two and a half, three trips to the order. Like who could get six six innings into a start so all of the outcomes are good so you can just go in any direction that you want with this and you're going to feel really good about your your starting pitching
0: yeah i tend to agree and so with that in mind because they're you know Burrios and Bass are both really really good you're happy with either like really happy with either i would just keep them in their current order because it's just a little simpler mentally and as far as their prep um so that would be my thought but here's a let me throw one last take at you here before we uh before we step aside. If they have to use Gosman on Sunday to get into the postseason and they make it and that works, then you're going, let's say for argument's sake, it's Barrios Bassett, games one and two. My game three starter in that situation, none other than Jimmy Garcia. Yeah, it might be Trevor Richards for me. But <laughs> yeah.
1: it's it's not Yusei Kikuchi.
0: No. No. Yeah. And again, <laughs> Yusei would pitch in that game. Yes, but it would not be because you look at how the Rays lined up. It's Yandi, it's a Rosarena, it's Caminero, it's a lot of right-handed hitters at the top. Paredes is often up there. So you end up looking at these right-handed hitters, start with one of those right-handed relievers, and hand it over to the bullpen from there because, you know, any sort of traditional usage, I think, is... is you pretty much out the window, um, you know, at this point. And, and obviously, if you get to an ALCS at seven games, it's a little bit of a different story. You probably do go back to being a bit more traditional. But if you're in a
1: one game, three game series, like just do what it takes to win. Yeah, the other thing that impacts it is how you used your bullpen in the first two games how many innings he had to cover who had to pitch a lot like what the pitch counts are um so like that would impact it as well but yeah i'm in if if i don't have gosman for this series and who knows like maybe gosman would be available for a short outing on thursday maybe he's the opener maybe right like i i haven't even allowed my mind to go down that road (laughs) actually yeah because that that would be three days
0: rest (laughs) Uh, honestly like he he probably would be available in some capacity and they probably should use him in some capacity.
1: Yeah. It's that push pull of like, this is a must win game. Do we use our best starter for however much we can get from him, even though that's going to compromise his ability to come back early in a divisional series where we could be three games and out. Right. Or do we feel good enough about the rest of our staff that we can win this third game and have Kevin, Kevin Gosman ready to start game one of a divisional series and hopefully put ourselves in a really good position there? Um, There's a lot of, they really got to win this weekend. eh? They
0: really (laughs) like, they got to, they got to win before Sunday. Cause if you win before Sunday, then this, then some of those questions fade away.
1: Yeah. They really needed to win like the game they coughed up in May like you know they really needed to win one of those ones against seattle that i keep going back to because those always like there's just so many heartbreakers in those games i mean you know jordan Romano really needed to not like give up a couple bombs to um alex verdugo you know that changed games (laughs) right like i just there's there's a but i I, every team is going to have a million things like that throughout their season that could have gone another way um but yeah for you know for the blue jays like they they should have been in a position where they knew their playoff fate long before this weekend and weren't, as we sit here right now, dealing with the uncertainty of, are we going to beat the Rays? Is Seattle or Texas going to help us out elsewhere? They're playing on the West Coast, so we don't even know when we play the Rays, like how those things went. Uh, it's it's the, the circumstances are really unideal for, for the Blue yeah. Jays right now. Being on the West Coast is a low-key slight advantage. Yes, in, in more ways yeah. than one. Can I also say, <laughs> final thought as I'm shouting things out, because it's the end of the season, right? So we kind of have a better yep. idea of just what this team was and just how things played out. Um, Blue Jays defense, just so, so exceptional. So good. Yep. Um, Seemingly, honestly, like getting better as the season goes on. Like Blue Jays haven't yep. committed an error in something like 10 games. Um they have the like second fewest errors across MLB since the All-Star break. Uh they've set a franchise uh record for the most error-free games in a season. Um and like errors are a terrible measure <laughs> of defense. They're a really dumb stat when you think about it, but we could break this down by outs above average. We can look at defensive runs saved. I mean the Blue Jays have led MLB in defensive runs saves, like lapped MLB. Um for some time now, uh, you know, their center field defense by DRS by OAA, whatever you like, is elite. I mean, Varsho, Kiermeyer, like these guys are right at the top of the leaderboards for outfield, DRS. Alejandro Kirk ranks very, very well as a catcher behind the plate by his blocking, by his receiving. Um, you know, Matt Chapman hasn't had a Matt Chapman-esque season defensively, but still ranks very well among third basemen. And quietly, Bo Bichette has not committed an error in 50 games. He has wow. been um, someone who, via the advanced metrics, like grades out as just an average MLB shortstop. But that, like, tells you he's actually come a long way because he was significantly below average via advanced metrics in previous seasons and the eye test would tell you that he is just a lot more confident short a lot more fluid um a lot more dependable than he's been in recent years and oh by the way Kevin Biggio makes like this highlight reel diving play at a different position every night so I I do think that we need to acknowledge that the Blue Jays have been just a tremendous defensive team
0: oh yeah and I think like you know on Bo calling him an average defensive shortstop Sounds backhanded, but like it's really quite a compliment. If you were an average F1 driver, you're an amazing driver, you know? Like he's come a long way. He's a very, very good defensive shortstop against the best in the world. Cavin Biggio has played the best defense I've ever seen him play. It's not even close. Kirk has been great defensively, not only with the strikes at the bottom of the zone that Aaron Boone loves so much, but also picking off runners um, making little uh, plays out in front of the plate on Bunts like he's been tremendous both offensively and defensively actually so when it comes to the keeping runs off the board can't say enough about this blue Jays team they are really really good at that and uh, yeah if they run into a few in the playoffs then who knows we might uh, we might be talking about this team for a few more weeks. Yeah,
1: I think that with Bo, just go back and read every report on him out of the draft and as a minor leaguer and as, you know, the kind of industries started gathering data on him. And every single report would say, yeah, really good, like bat to ball, aggressive play to poor approach, you know, some power in there, but probably a second baseman. Maybe even a corner outfielder, not someone who's likely to stick it short. So for Bo to get himself to like a place where he's an MLB average shortstop, like an average shortstop at the highest level of baseball playing every single day is actually really impressive and actually tells you he's come a very long way from where he was even just a year or two ago. I don't think that he's ever going to be like Dansby Swanson out there or, you know, name your elite MLB defender. But to even just be an average shortstop, like capable of playing the position every single day and, you know, making plays there um, the way that he has – It's huge. Like, it's that is massive improvement for him over the course of his career. It's one of many reasons that, like, Bo Bichette in um, a couple years' time is going to sign a contract, whether it's an extension with the Blue Jays or a free agent contract with the Blue Jays or with one of 29 other teams that is in excess of $300 million. Like, that is the caliber of player that he is. Yeah. Great
0: player. Great player. The Jays in a good position here with him and Vlad for two years plus, uh, Three to 26 games, three to 25 games, depending on how this unfolds. So you got to make the most of this chance with these guys, right? You only get so many uh, years with these players performing the way they are. You know the Jays still have a chance for a real run here, so we'll see if they can do it. Last call here, Arden. <laughs> that
1: well, you just reminded me of something. <laughs> Sorry, you did just remind me of something. I know we, you know, this is this entire second segment's been a podcast, but for all those reasons you cited, right? This is a huge opportunity for the Blue Jays, and if they miss the playoffs, it would be a just colossal missed opportunity. But how many seasons do you get an American League East that looks like? it does this year. Credit to the Baltimore Orioles. I mean, they have the most wins in the American League. They're going to finish with the most wins in the American League. They've won 100 games. They are the best team in this division. Tampa, of course, near the top. They typically are. But how often do you see an AL East table where the Yankees in Boston are at the bottom of it? And the Yankees aren't even a postseason club where the Yankees are just like a 500 team. I mean, there have been just five times since 1995 have there been... Uh, Has there been an MLB postseason without the New York Yankees involved? Um, The AL East has never finished in the order that it's in right now. I mean, since the Rays joined it in 1998... Like that we've we've just never seen the Yankees in Boston in four and five. Like this is just that does not happen. It is so uncommon for these well resourced and annually competitive franchises to be complete afterthoughts in this division. So it's just another reason why, like, this is such a massive opportunity this season for the Blue Jays and why they need to win some games this weekend and get into the postseason in any way possible.
0: They, they really do and the opportunities there in front of them because the rays despite their record are a little weakened the orioles are a really really good team i think they're better than the blue jays but it's not as much as the standings would suggest the jays could beat the orioles if they face them and i, I actually think the only team that's like clearly clearly better than the blue jays is the astros and the astros might not make it <laughs> so you know baseball's weird um you know we'll see where where it all goes here we will obviously be following up on at the letters as this all unfolds so stay tuned um, as for what that looks like where we are arden doesn't know i don't know no one knows so we'll we'll keep you posted um but thanks for listening to us on at the letters and thanks as well to our producer mike rogerson we will talk to you soon on atl